Hello everyone and welcome to the June 23rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Eric Law, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The legal significance between a court of appeal case that is published or unpublished is not well known in the workers' compensation community. The difference is the result of California Rules of Court Section 8.1115. This rule provides that an opinion of a California Court of Appeal that is not certified for publication must not be cited or relied on by a court or a party in any other action. An attorney who refers to an unpublished opinion in a court subject to the California Rules of Court violates the rules and is subject to sanctions. Thus, an unpublished opinion does not set precedent that can be used in similar litigation in a court subject to the California Rules of Court. However, the WCAB is not subject to the California Rules of Court. It has its own rules of practice and procedure. The WCAB does not have an equivalent to Rule 8.1115. For that reason, litigants can refer to an unpublished opinion at the WCAB trial level and on reconsideration but not in cases that move to the Court of Appeal and above. LexisNexis publishes the California Compensation Cases, containing California Workers' Compensation Appeals Board Decisions and Appeals Court Cases. The LexisNexis publication includes the text of unpublished Court of Appeal opinions. Thus, litigants can use the California Compensation Cases citation to unpublished cases that would otherwise not appear in the official reports of the California Courts. The legal effect of an unpublished opinion in a workers' compensation case is a result, as a result of this court rule is somewhat murky. Last month, the Court of Appeal decided in the then unpublished case of the Regents of the University of California versus WCAB and Shirley Lappy that the privileges specified in the evidence code apply to workers' compensation proceedings. Specifically, Division 8 of the Evidence Code trumps the WCAB rules that specify that it shall not be bound by the common law or statutory rules of evidence and procedure. However, when it comes to the treatment of privileged information, Division 8 of the Evidence Code expressly applies to any action, anywhere. Evidence Code Section 910 explicitly overrides any other statute which might otherwise be viewed as limiting application of the rules of evidence. The Court of Appeal concluded that the WCAB remains bound by the statutory requirements for dealing with privilege. As a consequence, the WCAB erred when it ordered an in-camera review of the employer's privileged documents by a special master for the purposes of assessing the merits of claim of privilege. The Court of Appeal received requests to publish this import important opinion. The requests were granted. The opinion was ordered published in the official reports. The decision can now be cited at the WCAB level and above and has become binding precedent on all lower courts and judges. The Court of Appeal remanded a case to consider the admissibility of 22 non-NPN medical reports. Here is what happened in the case of Garcia versus WCAB and Midwest Insurance. Miriam Garcia was employed by Cooper Cold Foods as a custodian. In 2010, she was cleaning offices when she slipped going up some steps. 22 medical reports prepared by seven individuals were excluded from the record by the workers' compensation judge because the reporting persons were not a part of the medical provider network provided by the employers. 
The Workers' Compensation Appeals Board affirmed this decision. On the same day of the WCAB decision, in this case, the Second District Court of Appeals issued its opinion and decision in Valdez v. WCAB, which was upheld by the California Supreme Court. In Valdez, the court held, on pertinent facts identical to those in the present Garcia case, that medical reports could not be excluded for the sole reason that they were prepared by persons not in the MPN. Based upon the opinions in Valdez, the decision of the Appeals Board denying Garcia's petition for reconsideration was annulled. The case was remanded with directions to rule upon the admissibility of the heretofore excluded medical reports and any further medical reports and records Garcia may wish to introduce into evidence. In ruling upon the admissibility of medical evidence, the Workers' Compensation Judge and the Appeals Board are to be guided by Valdez. And now our fraud report. The Orange County Grand Jury has indicted 15 people, including a major donor to President Barack Obama's re-election campaign, 10 donors, or 10 doctors, and a pharmacist, for their alleged involvement in a multi-million dollar workers' compensation fraud scheme. The alleged ringleader and two others also face one charge of involuntary manslaughter. The sealed indictment accuses Kareem Ahmed of orchestrating the elaborate operation. According to the filing, Ahmed allegedly hired pharmacists to produce three compounded transdermal creams. He then allegedly paid kickbacks to a number of physicians and chiropractors to prescribe the creams to their workers' compensation patients. Ahmed then allegedly conspired with the doctors to submit fraudulent workers' compensation claims. Authorities claim Ahmed paid physicians a total of more than $25 million to dispense the compound creams between June 15, 2010 and December 31, 2012. The amounts individual doctors allegedly received ranged from $600,000 to more than $2.5 million. Ahmed allegedly gave the kickback scheme the appearance of legitimacy by requiring the physicians and the pharmacists to sign a contract for purchase of future accounts and receivables. One of the 44 counts in the indictment charged three men, including Ahmed, of involuntary manslaughter. It alleged that the three did, unlawfully and without malice, kill a minor. Ahmed is president and CEO of Landmark Medical Management and was a top donor to Democratic efforts in 2012. He gave more than $1 million, with most of it going to the pro-Obama Super PAC Priorities USA action. A spokesperson from his office has denied any wrongdoing. A multi-agency task force consisting of more than 100 detectives and investigators focused on curbing California's underground economy. They conducted a sweep across major metropolitan areas statewide, issuing more than 60 citations for various violations and six work stop orders. Investigators also took the opportunity to educate homeowners about their responsibility to verify contractors have a, have a license and workers' compensation insurance before they are hired. Homeowners who hire contractors or vendors that do not have proper licenses or workers' compensation insurance may risk their home and assets if someone is injured. Many homeowner policies have a criminal activity clause that means the insurance company may not cover damage caused by shoddy work performed by an unlicensed contractor or liability coverage if a worker is injured and the contractor does not have workers' compensation insurance. Homeowners must therefore be aware of their obligation to verify that contractors 
they hire have proper licenses and valid workers' compensation insurance. Other violations found among the nearly 100 businesses contacted included no workers' compensation insurance, no valid contractor's license, serious safety violations, and one with an estimated $20,000 regulatory fine. The Contractors State License Board found six violations ranging from advertising to safety issues. The Employment Development Department identified 15 possible administrative violators, violations. The Insurance Commissioner said California's underground economy results in a multi-million dollar hit to California's economy. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has issued final amendments to the Hospital Outpatient and Ambulatory Surgical Center's fee schedule section of the OMFS. The amended regulation transitions hospital outpatient department facility fee allowances currently paid under pre, the pre-2014 OMFS physician fee schedule to be paid an OMFS RBRVS-based facility fee. It also makes the alternative payment methodology inapplicable for services rendered on or after September 1, 2014, and adjusts the Medicare multiplier to conform to changes in Medicare's payment rules regarding the additional percentage added for outliers. The regulation can be found on the DWC website. The WCIRB submitted the regulatory fi filing containing proposed changes to the Insurance Commissioner's regulations. Upon receipt of the Commissioner's decision, the WCIRB will post the decision in its, on its website and will issue a WCIRB bulletin notifying members of any and all approved rules and classifications to assist in preparing individual company rate filings. The WCIRB will submit a separate filing in mid-August that will include proposed changes to the advisory pure premium rates and experience rating values to be effective January 1, 2015. If you are waiting for your subrogation case to go to trial, do not expect much to happen in the immediate future. The Superior Court system remains severely underfunded in the current California budget. Brian Walsh, presiding judge of the Santa Clara County Superior Court and chair of the Judicial Council Presiding Judges Committee, says that trial courts are left many millions of dollars short of the amount necessary to sustain services. In Santa Clara, that's going to push the court to close courtrooms and reduce resources for various public services, including family court mediation and self-help centers. Clerical staffing will also be reduced, which will increase wait times for the public. Walsh said the course would absorb the funding shortfall by not filling positions as workers retire. His vacancy rate has grown to 28% and he expects it will go up to 33 to 35% very soon. Many other courts are planning similar strategies. The presiding judge of Contra Costa County Superior Court said furlough days were one way his court would deal with cuts. The court has the option to force staff to stay home without pay for up to nine days a year. With employee compensation comprising the largest chunk of court's budgets, that could save the court hundreds of thousands of dollars annually. Many courts across the states have had to reduce staffing to the point where many of their judges lack an assigned courtroom and litigants are forced to travel long distances to handle cases. The Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles has even filed a lawsuit against Los Angeles County Superior Court over its strategy of consolidating 
court operations by shuttering many regional courthouses. Marsha Slough, the presiding judge of the San Bernardino County Superior Court, said her historically underfunded court made severe cuts in previous years that have eliminated rural residents' access to nearby facilities. However, she said her court wouldn't be making new cuts. Many court leaders intend to begin pushing for more funding next year above and beyond an automatic 5% increase proposed in the 2014 to 15 years budget. And in medical news, gene sequencing tests are increasingly being used to help understand the genetic causes of disease. And now insurance companies have to decide whether to pay the five to $17,000 for the genetic tests. A number of insurers, including Blue Cross Blue Shield, have reacted by putting the brakes on reimbursement. Insurers are demanding proof that the results will lead to meaningful treatments among the estimated two million Americans with a serious undiagnosed disease. Genetics experts say that sequencing more than doubles the chances that families get a diagnosis and saves spending on multiple tests of single genes. Even if no treatment is found, they say the tests can also end extensive medical odysseys as parents frantically search for the cause of their child's furtive illness. Until the reimbursement issue is resolved, families short on resources will be left scrambling for funding. Howard Jacob was the first to use gene sequencing tools to unravel the mystery of a rare disease in 2009, leading to a bone marrow transplant that saved a little boy named Nick Volker. Five years later, Jacob's Molecular Genetics Lab at the Medical College of Wisconsin has done more than three dozen whole genome sequences, a test that reads the more than three billion letters that make up the human genetic code. They have sequenced 400 whole exomes, tests that look only at the protein-making segments of DNA known as exons, which present 2% of the gen genome but account for 85% of disease-causing mutations. Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas has handled 3,500 exome sequencing cases since 2011. A study of its first 250 cases showed whole exome sequencing identified the disease-causing gene in 25% of cases. Since the findings were published last October, the rate has increased to 28% as the list of known mutations has grown. A director of the DNA Diagnostic Lab at Yale School of Medicine in Connecticut has seen a 500% increase in orders for exome sequencing since 2011. The lab does about 750 whole exome tests a year, and now reimbursement is becoming an issue. Dr. Julie Kessel, who directs coverage policy for Cigna, said sequencing requests were scarcely noticed five years ago, now, quote, they're very, very much on the radio, radar, end quote. Cigna generally does not cover whole genome or whole exome sequencing unless there is a clear clinical reason. At Aetna Inc., Dr. James Cross, Vice President of National Medical Policy and Operations, said sequencing has gotten ahead of the evidence. Traditionally, the company has made coverage decisions based on the individual test and whether it affects patient outcomes, he said. Last August, one of the industry's biggest players, Blue Cross Blue Shield, issued a report saying exome sequencing might pinpoint the genetic cause of disease in up to half of patients. But only a fraction of those will be able to use that as guidance because treatments don't exist yet. Since then, Blue's plans in Louisiana, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania have deemed exome sequencing investigational 
meaning not eligible for coverage. Insurers say their objections stem from a lack of evidence that the tests can improve patient care. But there are some celebrated examples that it can, such as Alexis Beery of California, whose genetic defect left him with health problems similar to cerebral palsy. Genome sequencing led to highly effective treatments to replace the missing neurotransmitters that were causing the symptoms. Eight new specific studies published by the Workers' Compensation Research Institute identified new predictors of worker outcomes. These predictors may help public officials, payors, and healthcare providers improve the treatment and communication an injured worker receives after an injury. The studies found trust in the workplace to be one of the more important predictors that has not been examined before. To describe the level of trust or mistrust in the work relationship, the study's interviewers asked workers if they were concerned about being fired as a result of the injury. Workers who were strongly concerned about being fired after, after the injury experienced poorer return to work outcomes than workers without those concerns. Concerns about being fired were associated with a four-week increase in the average duration of disability. The studies also identified workers with specific comorbid medical conditions, conditions existing simultaneously with, an with a usually independent with, that is, conditions existing simultaneously with and usually independently of another medical condition. Workers with hypertension, when compared with workers without hypertension, had a three percentage point higher rate of not working at the time of the interview. Workers with heart problems reported an 8 percentage point higher rate of not working at the time of the interview, predominantly due to injury, and had disability duration that was four weeks longer. Workers with diabetes had a 4 percentage point higher rate of not working at the time of the interview, predominantly due to injury that workers without, than workers without diabetes. The studies are based on telephone interviews with 3,200 injured workers across eight states. The eight states are Indiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Wisconsin. The surveys were conducted on average about three years after these workers sustained their injuries. And in other news, the health of the workers' compensation system in California and statewide economic trends were among the topics discussed at the annual WCIRB Workers' Compensation Conference in San Francisco. The conference is an opportunity for WCIRB members and other industry stakeholders to discuss issues of common concern and to hear from leading voices in the system. WCIRB President and CEO Bill Mudge opened the conference with a health checkup on the state's 101-year-old workers' compensation system. He said that the vital signs for the California system are mixed. For injured workers, fewer injuries and timely access to care and benefits are balanced by concerns over the level of wage replacement, the problems associated with high rates of long-term opioid use, and delays getting back to work. For employers, fewer injuries, numerous insurance choices, and a charged rate level that remains approximately 50% below what it was a decade ago are balanced against a litigious, costly, and complex workers' compensation system. For insurers, the size of the workers' compensation market, pricing flexibility, and competition are balanced against volatile insurer results, unpredictable outcomes, and a complex benefit delivery system. Overall, there has been an 83% reduction in claim frequency in the past 50 years. 
85% of injured workers who responded to a survey were satisfied with the medical care they received. Yet California has 47% of lost time claims with permanent disability. This ranks as the seventh highest state. California is among the top 10 states with longer term opiate use. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past edition of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I am Eric Law, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and drop by again next week for more news.